What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, I truly, truly appreciate it. Trying something new today. I'm literally just going to go solo here. I'm talking into my phone. I got a phone recorder app because this way I can just literally upload it right to the podcast from my phone. Makes life a lot easier. And I can just bust out more podcasts this way. I can just randomly decide I want to do a quick little five-minute cast and throw it up there because sometimes I got shit on my mind. I got to get out. But anyway, I kind of wanted to do a little intro here of uh, who I am because there might be some people that listen to this podcast that found me on iTunes or something that have no idea who I am. Um, my name's Drew Heifetz. This is Vintage and Stuff with Drew Heifetz. Obviously, you found the podcast, so uh, you know what you're getting yourself into here. But yeah, I've been in the vintage clothing business for a long time, probably 15 years now with my brother, Jesse Heifetz. Our company's called F as in Frank, and then our most recent venture is Frankie Collective. So go check those two businesses out, frankiecollective.com and F as in Frank vintage.com. Uh, we have two clothing stores, one on Main Street in Vancouver and one on Queen Street in Toronto. But yeah, um, you know, I've been doing this a long time, been selling to collectors, been selling to designers, um, been selling at the Rose Bowl, basically have dipped my toes in anything to do with the vintage clothing business. Um, yeah, so I decided to start this podcast to share what I know with everyone else. Please go follow me on Instagram at Drew Heifetz. If you follow me there, you know I love to help people. I love to give everybody knowledge. That's what this podcast is about, is sharing my knowledge, sharing stupid stories. I hope you loved the last episode I did with Jesse. We really got into some dumb stories, some childhood shenanigans. It was a lot of fun kind of rehashing and reliving those memories. And I want to do more episodes like that because this is vintage and stuff. There's a lot of stuff to talk about in this world besides vintage. And I want to talk about it all. So, <laughs> um, yeah, what else can I tell you about myself? Well, grew up in Ontario, Canada. Won't go too deep. But anyway, before I got into vintage clothing, I was, I'm a skateboarder, an avid skateboarder. I was a professional snowboarder for a few years. I snowboard bummed it heavy duty in Whistler. I still live in Squamish, BC, which is right near Whistler. I snowboard as much as I can, although it's crazy. It's the middle of January. I haven't even snowboarded this year once. But I will say that it for the last two days, it's been snowing like crazy here. So I am super excited to get out there this weekend. Took my kids uh, tobogganing yesterday. So that was pretty fun. Another thing about me, I have two kids, a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. I love them to death. Basically why I suffer through this vintage game that we all love. <laughs> um, but it's actually not really that bad. It's, it's a great career. It's, uh, it's an independent career. You get to do whatever the hell you want if you work for yourself. That comes with its ups and downs, as everybody already knows. Also, I am married to Rhiannon Tyson. Uh, shout out my wife for putting up with my shit. She's awesome. She holds it down. 
She's an amazing photographer. You can check out her on Instagram too, at Rhiannon Shea Photography, I think it is. All right, so basically, yeah, that's who I am. If you guys want to know anything else about me, hit me up on the DMs and I will talk about it on a podcast. Also, if you have any other vintage news you want me to talk about on a podcast, please send it to me via the DMs. All right, I'm already four minutes into this podcast here. I'm not even going to do an intro because um, I don't want to edit it. Editing is super annoying. I feel like it gets in the way of content production. I just want to pump out content. I want to um, keep it flowing here, keep the juices moving. So I sent out a shout out on Instagram that I was going to do a solo recorded podcast. And what did you guys want me to talk about? Well... Uh, you guys came up with a lot of good stuff that you wanted me to talk about, so I'm going to jump right into that. Okay, at Neil's Plugs, shout out at Neil's Plugs. He wanted me to talk about the Rose Bowl and crazy experiences at the Rose Bowl. We've been doing the Rose Bowl for 15 years. There's been lots of times, lots of good times. I've met some of my best friends at the Rose Bowl. I love to come out and see everybody. It's always a great time unless I'm in a shitty mood. But hey, that happens. We do have to wake up at 4 a.m. A couple good stories, though, from the Rose Bowl. Um, by the way, this might be a little awkward. I'm like, I don't have a guest on today. I'm just talking. I'm just like talking in my living room when I could be watching The Mandalorian on the Disney Channel because I'm halfway into the series. But I decided, you know what? Instead of consuming content, I'm going to create a little bit of it. So here it is. Okay, Rose Bowl stories. One time we're at the Rose Bowl and we had a sick uh, a sick Peter Max t-shirt. If you don't know Peter Max, he's a great artist from the 70s. Kind of psychedelic hippie art. He did campaigns with 7-Up. Um, uh, there's actually like a 90s NASCAR tee that he helped or collaborated on. I wonder if there's actually a NASCAR that he has Peter Max graphics on it. Because I would like to see that. Anyway, we had the 70s Peter Max Love t-shirt, famous graphic, hanging up in the booth. When you have your heaters up in the booth, you kind of know, you know, you kind of take six of like what's up in the booth. So if one's missing or just there's something missing, you're like, what the fuck? Did we sell that? You'd obviously know because it's like a $500 t-shirt. Anyway, the Peter Max shirt went missing. And there was this kid who was kind of like eyeing it up, asking us about it. And he looked a little sus and all of a sudden it's gone. We're like, what the fuck? I always bring my skateboard to the Rose Bowl for two reasons. To go take a leak because the bathrooms are far. (laughs) Or to chase down thieves. So I jump on my skateboard. I start ripping down the aisles. I'm looking all over for this kid. Boom. Find the kid. I'm like, yo, I know you took the shirt. Open your bag now. He was like super taken aback. But he did it. He opened the bag. He totally denied the whole thing. But he, he ended up opening his bag. Boom. The shirt was in his bag. Um, got the shirt back. Super stoked. And I, I, went, I ended up taking him to the front gate. And he got his ass booted out. Because if you do get caught stealing from the Rose Bowl, you will get booted out. Um, there is theft at the Rose Bowl for sure. I bet you there's kids that go to the Rose Bowl and just thief all day. Because it's like it's probably the easiest place to steal from. But... Uh, watch your back because the vintage community is strong and they will call you out. One more other theft I forgot about was when we had the Rasta Polo tank 
uh, stolen from our booth too. This was this shirt was also hanging up. This was the ninety two plates Rasta tank, super famous polo piece. That shirt's like eight hundred to a thousand, maybe even more, like eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars. That went missing. We were tripping, so we did a huge vintage shout out. Like this got stolen from our booth. Turns out that it got brought in. Oh, excuse me, I'm tired. Anyway, it got brought into round two on on Melrose in Hollywood. Sean Witherspoon was working the buying counter that day, and he's like, yo, this is my homie's tank. He actually got a picture of the kid with the tank and got our tank back for us. That was the super a super G move. Shout out Sean Witherspoon for getting our tank back. Another highlight of Rose Bowl for me was selling a t-shirt to Drew Barrymore, my childhood crush. I, a normal day like any other, chilling in the booth, you know, Rose Bowl's pretty famous for celebrities rolling through and, um, you know, it's hot, it's in LA, so you see celebrities all the time, it's no big deal, but Drew Barrymore, my childhood crush, comes rolling through the booth, shopping her racks, you know, I just chatted her up like anybody else. She, uh, Ended up buying a Dirty Dancing t-shirt. A very rad t-shirt. I asked her to grab a picture with her, but she denied me. I got shut down on the picture. Um, but, you know, I totally respect that. She probably gets asked all the time. And anyway, still a good memory. There's been so many good Rose Bowl memories, guys. Like... We bought so many sick polo pieces at the at the Rose Bowl. We bought things in the morning and then flipped it the same day for like 10 times value. Um, one time these guys came to the Rose Bowl with like 100 pieces of these dead stock Gucci crewnecks. This was back before like Gucci was like like popping, popping. Like the bootleg Gucci crewnecks weren't popping as much. Got them for eight bucks. Dead stock, bootleg, 80s Gucci crewnecks. That was a score. And there's been so many scores like that. There was scores when uh, someone brought a bale of 90s baseball jerseys to the bowl and cracked it. And it was like, I got like 50 starters, like Chicago Bulls starters, Raiders starters, all these baseball jerseys when that was like popping. There's been so many sick times back in the day. And people, people, um, people didn't used to... It was like different back then. There wasn't so many kids picking. We were the youngest sellers at the Rose Bowl in the early days. So we we had the whole place to ourselves. Like we were buying starter jackets for 10 bucks in the beginning. Um, Because there was nobody there, you know, and it was super easy. Everyone who was there was looking for true vintage, looking for 80s rock t-shirts, looking for leather, denim, things like that. There wasn't people looking for what we were looking for or what the market's looking for now. So we bought all that stuff up for so cheap. It was like, it was uh, Graceland back in the day. Okay, this guy found online, PH found online. He asked about why I always go to the leather rack when I hit a thrift store. Okay, this is kind of like old habits. I go to the leather rack because there's so much value in good leather. I mean, vintage leather is down in value as a whole right now. But if you find a Buco jacket or if you find an East-West jacket or if you find um, like a World War II bomber jacket, like those are all super valuable things regardless. 
and it literally takes you like five minutes to sift through the leather rack. Boom, 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 boom. You're probably done. Whereas like you go to a big thrift store and you're looking through t-shirts for like two hours. So I kind of like knock off like the better value spots first and then go to t-shirts after. That's just my method. When you're looking for leather, you want to look out for zippers, old talon zippers or different zippers. Like anything different than YKK usually means it's older. Obviously, motorcycle jackets are good styles. Bomber jackets are good styles. You really got to like do your do your uh, research here, guys. Go watch a video that I put up on vintage zippers. I haven't done much videos on leather, but just do some research on what vintage leather goes for money and go look for that. It's pretty simple. Okay, at past, present, future goods. He just wanted me to talk about denim in general. So I'm just going to give a quick overview here. Um, denim is what started the vintage business in the 90s and denim will is what I believe will end the vintage business if it ever dies like it was born through denim because denim is so representative of Americana cowboy culture rock and roll culture hippie culture denim lived through all of these really American iconic cultures and times um you got to do your research on denim. Go get um, acquainted with Levi's and what's worth money. How to tell vintage denim. Again, zippers, buttons, details. There's so many details. You really have to like do your research. That's all I'll say. But get acquainted with denim. And the denim, the denim business right now is still super strong. It never really dies. It fluctuates. Certain things come up and down. But denim in general is always holding its value. It's like you can invest in denim. Like you would invest in stocks and make money all the time. Okay, mad critical. The evolution of the vintage biz and what's in and what's out. I mean, man, it's evolving daily. You know, it's crazy to see what's what's in now. And, um, you know, I could talk about the evolution for a while. I mean, I kind of am touching on it in other subjects here. You know, like I said, leather is out. 80s tees are out now everyone wants like 90s movie tees or rap tees or you know we used to have rap tees on the website for 100 150 bucks and they wouldn't sell and this is only like four years ago it's crazy always evolving ever changing um overfilled closet at overfilled closet shout out overfilled closet he wanted me to talk about snowboarding snowboarding shenanigans Jeez, snowboarding shenanigans. It was all shenanigans. Um, but I'm going to save that for some other episodes, okay? But shout out, shout out him. Overfilled closet. Go listen to the Jesse episode. Me and Jesse, we talk about a lot of shenanigans. I'll get Jesse back on or I'll get some other snowboard buddies back on to talk about some shenanigans. Okay, Aaron Numbanine. At Aaron Numbanine. The greatest steal. He asked, what's the greatest steal? Um, geez, I have no idea. I mean, we buy so much vintage for the cheap, you know, but geez, greatest steal. I mean, those Gucci crewnecks were a steal. I bought, I've been selling blank snapback hats lately, guys. All those corduroys, if you've seen on my stories, a lot of you guys have bought them. I sold probably, geez, I don't even know, a lot. A lot of blank snapback hats. There's a lot more where they came from. So I'm going to be doing more story sales on blank snapback hats. Those corduroy snapback hats, I probably bought for like 10, 5, 10 cents a piece. So 
that's a crazy come up, you know, like you can find those dead stock deals. Yeah, they didn't sell for a long time. I sat on them for years, but then I was getting like four or five bucks for them, maybe more. And for 10 cents or five cents, that's pretty damn good come up. Okay, Cheetos Thrift, at Cheetos Thrift, he wrote, how has the Rose Bowl changed? Big shout out to Cheetos Thrift. He's a super G from Portland. He was at ThriftCon killing it. And when I went to Portland, this guy reached out to me, met me and gave me a sick Patagonia piece just out of the kindness of his own heart. Super grateful for this guy. He's a rad dude. Anybody else who's ever given me anything, by the way, shout out. That's so sick. Rose Bowl's changed so much. I kind of touched on it in another question. You know, there wasn't a lot of young sellers back in the day. It was all old heads, all OGs. There was like the first row of Rose Bowl we, we'd always call Killer's Row. It was It's where like all the OG dudes would be set up that have been selling there for years and years and years. And they always had the craziest heat on that front row and everybody else just got mixed up into the back. Now it's like, you know... And like when I talk Keter's Row, it was always like true vintage, denim, really sick leathers, military pieces. You know, there was t-shirts, but the, the business was never evolved, never run on so much t-shirt business. It would be like you had only the rarest t-shirts. You had only the most interesting t-shirts, you know, only 80s like or 70s or 60s or military tees or stuff like that. But old Harley tees. Now it's like there's so many sellers that just sell t-shirts. It is crazy. The business is run on t-shirts. It's changed so much. I think that is one of the biggest differences. Now if you go to the Rose Bowl, you go to the back row and it's like all the young sellers along that back row. That's where like you'll get all the rap tees, all the um, new school era vintage stuff, you know, and that's a huge difference. And also people are taxing way more at the bowl these days. It's like getting going for top, top dollar. Used to be really like a place to get wholesale. Used to be a place where you could score more. Um, definitely been a lot of changes. We don't really even buy there anymore. We used to buy there so much. Okay, next up. Recruited, at Recruited. The state of sourcing in five years. What's sourcing going to be like in five years? Well, that's super hard to say what sourcing is going to be like in five years. You know, the rag trade will continue. There'll always be donations. There'll always be thrift stores and bins. Um, the rag industry, it's hard to say. I mean, the rag industry is moving. The rag industry is moving away from America. It's hard to know how the rag industry will change. But sourcing, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot more interesting ways to source. I think, like, people are going to have to start thinking outside the box. I recommend this to anybody. You got to start thinking outside the box. Like, what's your next move? Are you just going to be a bin kid selling t-shirts for the rest of your life? Or do you want to, like, evolve into something more, you know? There's lots of directions you can go within this business and still stay relevant. But I would say start to think outside the box. Um, you know, sourcing... I mean, it, it 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 could become really monopolized by the big by the big boys. You know, it's already happening in certain aspects. Certain aspects of the business are getting monopolized by big players. So, you know, just watch what you're doing and evolve. And you know, don't be scared to make big moves. Don't be scared to like move 
to the other side of the country if, if it's going to be mean better sourcing for you and it's going to be able to be a better business. Those are sacrifices sometimes you got to make to, you know, take the next step in your life and business, you know, take a few years and go build something somewhere and uh, have it really positively affect you in the next 10 years of your life versus like just whine and complain about not having what you want and staying in the busiest say like LA where it's oversaturated for pickers so who knows what's going to happen in five years but I would say everyone's got to keep if you want to be successful you got to keep evolving okay this is from at continuity continuity Jesse's beef with the throwbacks vault okay so Jesse posted something about the throwbacks vault copying Frankie Styles so how this came about is we got an email from a girl who replied to a job advertisement from the throwbacks vault those guys were out of toronto and the girl basically wrote us in the email saying just wanted to bring to your attention that i did a job interview with throwbacks vault they seemed very sketchy basically what they told me is they want me to go look on the frankie collective website and just copy all the styles so this girl was very nice and actually she didn't take the job and she was super nice enough to just tell us that these guys were straight up copying us. And, you know, for me, that's not even surprising. It's like this happens all the time. Frankie Collective, you know, has been reworking for six years now. We have been reworking, Jesse and myself, for like 10, 15, maybe 12 years. So... People are going to, we don't claim to be the first people to invent reworking or, um, you know, start the reworking trend. Although I do believe Frankie was one of the first big, big companies doing it and still probably the biggest. So people are, people are going to copy, people are going to copy and we, we promote reworking as a whole and we want people to go out and rework. We think it's great for the planet. I personally think it's awesome. People should rework. Everyone should be doing it. But go make your own styles. Be a little bit more creative. Don't just straight up copy someone's styles. Like that's insane. Like it's like it has there's no integrity in that. It's such bullshit. So that's Throwbacks Vault's game. They just want to copy Frankie. And I got to say this too. Um storeroom out of out of um out of Sydney, Australia. Lee from Storeroom out of Sydney, Australia, straight up copied Frankie Styles. He's admitted it to our face. You know, at first it didn't bother me, but then, you know, he went out and copied like another six or eight styles. And again, like, dude, Lee, if you're ever going to listen to this, probably not, but whatever. Why didn't you just go and get a designer? Go get a designer and make some cool, unique styles. Like, there is millions of possibilities endless possibilities of ideas to create with vintage clothing and you decided instead of creating your own cool styles you would just straight up copy ours it's a very weak play it's a very weak move um i don't really call people out too often but that was just like a bit weak man i was and because you're you you know we're we're friendly like we're acquaintances man and that was just not a cool move but whatever i expect it that's what people do you know, that a lot of people don't have their own creativity. They don't take the time to build something themselves. They like to steal ideas from other people. And fair enough, to each their own. But you know what? 
I am going to going to live my life in a different way. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to take inspiration from certain things and create my own future, my own ideas, my own um, brand identity. So that's where I'm at with all that. But that was the beef. It's nothing too deep. Okay. Uh, I want to get to some relevant shit here. Some good questions. Okay. Father Time Vintage and The Vintage Files both asked me about taxes. You want to know my advice on taxes? Fuck them. No, just kidding. You can't do that. The only two things in this world you can count on are death and taxes. So you got to get to a place in your business where you can just pay someone to do your taxes. Doing taxes suck. I haven't done my, ta- my, my own taxes in years. There was a point where I was running my business super haphazardly and I didn't do taxes for like six years. And then trying to get caught up on taxes after six years of not doing it is a nightmare. So don't do that. Make sure you get your life sorted. I would say incorporate yourself. There's so much tax benefits to incorporate yourself. If you're making like over 60, 80 grand a year, incorporate yourself and play all the tax benefits. Uh, Okay. Ollie Calisto at Ollie Calisto asked, what's the craziest wave you've ever surfed? Yeah, buddy. Shaka. Love this question. Okay. I've surfed a lot of six bots. I've surfed in Bali, I've surfed a bunch of places all over Costa Rica. I've been to Hawaii, surfed in Canada, surfed California, um, Mexico. Although there's so many places I need to go surf still. Geez, the craziest way I've ever surfed. I've been scared a lot of times um, out in the water. I surfed a reef break on the east coast of the Bukit Peninsula. Everyone usually surfs on the west coast of the Bukit. I mean, there's some great reefs on the east coast of the Bukit. Surf this reef by myself where it was like barreling shallow reef and I'm like a kilometer out in the ocean um, by myself. Scared the shit out of me because I'm like, if I get smoked right now, there's like nobody around to save me and I'm so far from shore. Um that was kind of a freaky freaky wave to surf i've surfed here in canada when the swell has been reading 20 something feet out at one of the local spots on vancouver island where there's like logs in the water and it's like the shore pound is so heavy that like you gotta like get out of the water and then run up the beach super fast or you're gonna get smashed into the rocks and that was pretty hectic um i was surfing in hawaii one time on the east coast of oahu super loked out spot and uh we're like all surfing this little reef break super nice wave this one i wasn't a very good surfer but this is probably one of the best waves up until that point in my life i'd surfed and then this coast guard comes over and he's like he's like yo we've seen like a huge he was there on jet ski and he's like we've seen this huge tiger shark just over there and blah blah, blah. you guys should probably get out of the water so that was trippy. Um, but then later, like I'm looking back, a bunch of us got out of the water and a few people stayed. And then I'm like, oh, I bet you that's just like a local move for them to get the, the howlies, as you call them, myself out of the water. So the locals get to surf by themselves. So who knows if that's the game on that one. But um, yeah, 
I don't know. There's been, there's definitely been days I've been scared being out in the water where like, you know, I'm, I'm out of my element for sure. But I love that. I love it. I love scaring yourself. You know, go scare yourself every day. It's the best thing. Okay, at Psy Factory. People I look up to. And you wanted me to talk about people I look up to and sustainability. I look up to people who are killing it at life and in business. I look up to Gary V. The guy's a G. Why do I look up to Gary V? Because Gary V doesn't give a fuck what people think about him. Gary V does what he wants and he doesn't let people's opinions get in the way. For years and years and years, I let people's opinion get in the way of what I wanted to do. I lived my life based on other people's ideas of what I thought they thought was cool or whatever it is. Stupid way to go. So I'm done with that. Um, I look up to Garrett G-Man, you know, Canadian icon. Um I look up to Tony, Torgan Vintage, slaying it. I look up to Sean Witherspoon, slaying it, killing it. Like, no fear, no holds barred at life. Just, like, doing his thing. You know, I look up to also people uh, in the snowboard industry that stuck it out. Like, geez, people that, like, just lived, lived the dream. Marie-France Roy lives out in Euclid, has, like, this sustainable cob house. Ski snowboards from Patagonia, gets to travel the world. She's like a eco, eco warrior, and she's just out there living, you know. And I look up to people like that. I think it's awesome. I chose a different route. Of course, I'm not regretting that. I love what I do. I love this business. I love my family life. I love surfing and snowboarding and skating still, although it's not the main focus of my life anymore. But um, who else do I look up to? A lot of people, man. I think it's important to look up to people, to have mentors, to acknowledge them as your mentors, to try to surround yourself with those people. You know, talking about scaring yourself, go up level yourself and go make friends with some of the people that you look up to. I think that's mega important. I think you are the average of your five closest friends. So make sure your five closest friends aren't a bunch of bums just sucking your blood. You know, up-level yourself. Get into a mastermind group. You know, I just joined a, a mastermind group that's uh, put on by this chef in the city that owns a restaurant chain. He's like Master Chef Canada. Uh, he put together a group of 10 guys. We're doing a group this year. It's going to be a whole year program. And, you know, that's, I was kind of nervous to go into this. Like, they're all super successful dudes that I'm going to go into a mastermind group with here. But that's how you up-level. Put yourself in uncomfortable situations, up-level yourself so it's not uncomfortable anymore, and then you can up-level yourself again. So, yeah, challenge. Get out there and up-level yourself. Um, okay, also I wanted me to talk about sustainability. I did a whole video on the sustainable compostable mailbags. Everyone should get on that. If you're a reseller and you're listening to this, go get those compostable mailers. Uh, send me a DM. I'll send you a link to those. Um, you know, sustainability, I could, I, I should do a whole podcast on sustainability, but there's a lot of initiatives coming out right now that are really cool. Obviously selling vintage clothing and reworking clothing is a sustainable option. It's the most sustainable option to dress people besides walking around fully naked. I got nothing around, nothing against walking around fully naked, but I'm just saying, uh, the next best thing is to wear secondhand clothes. 
Uh, you know, I recently went to my friend's, my wife's friend's store, Diane, and you clue it, and we bought all reusable household products. So, sorry, not reusable household products, but refillable household products. Like, we bought refillable dish soap, refillable laundry soap, refillable body wash, refillable toothpaste even, um... And there's all these different things you can get around the house where instead of going out and buying something from the store, you bring back the bottle, they fill it up for you, you pay by weight, and then you leave. And you just keep doing this and you never have to throw out any plastic. It's like one better, one more way to get to a zero waste lifestyle. And by the way, I want to say something. Like I am so far from perfect on sustainability. Like I buy my kids toys. I'm sitting in my living room now looking at like Lego blocks and Duplo blocks and, you know, uh, hot wheels tracks and stuff like that so i'm not like this perfect um image of uh somebody who's sustainable not even close not even close but i do put energy into working towards becoming that person you know i really put effort on just trying to use reusable coffee mugs like all the time and i think i do pretty well at that you know it t- takes a while to get in the habit but like that's an amazing amount of um coffee cups saved throughout the year because you know if you're doing two coffees a day that's like 600 coffee cups per person so like that's crazy get a reusable coffee mug get a reusable water bottle those are like the first two easiest steps um obviously then let me get into talking about microplastics you know like clothes shedding microplast that's a whole nother topic we're working on solutions for that you know we're working on creating sustainable clothing for Frankie, creating sustainable new clothing for Frankie. Um, You know, go find yourself a zero waste store in your neighborhood, buy bulk foods, bring your own bags to the grocery store, bring your own containers to the grocery store. Um, Wherever you can save plastics, do it, you know. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll put together better episodes on sustainability and how we can all live more sustainable lives. And I'll do more research on products that we can all get down on because I think it's important and I think I want to teach you guys and also get inspired myself to live more sustainably. Love to move out into a small cabin in the woods, just have a wood-burning stove, burning all the time, keeping me warm, cooking my food, go hunt a deer a couple times a year, grow all my own veggies. That's a true sustainable life, but it's not happening anytime soon, so... Let's just all do our best and work towards being just a little bit more sustainable. All right. Amazon Men's Room wrote Prince Harry and his wife moving to British Columbia. That's crazy, man. That's just crazy. I don't even think that's a true rumor. I didn't even look it up because it's ridiculous. Why the hell would they move to BC? If they do move to BC, maybe I should become friends with them. That would be a major up level in my life. Become friends with Prince Harry. So there's a goal. That's a new goal for 2020. Become bros with Prince Harry. Start a mastermind group with Prince Harry. Okay, shout out Blue 80s. He's a local Vancouver picker. Been doing it for a long, long time. He asked about religion in the vintage business. I don't even know where to go with this question. I can tell you right now 
that the Earthling VIP's religion is called T-shirts. All hail the almighty T-shirt. They have like the, yeah, it's insane. They're, they're so into T-shirts that they, uh, yeah, I don't know. What do people, what do people into in the vintage game as far as religions? Um, who the hell knows? Okay. Afro vintage at Afro vintage. Shout out this dude. Super rad guy. Uh, we've chopped it up on the DMS a bunch. Uh, he wrote, what's the next hot shit and how big can ThriftCon get? Well, first I'll talk about ThriftCon. ThriftCon's going to get super big. Seen there in Miami looking at spaces for the next event. Uh, shout out to those guys. They're going to do really well with this event for sure. And I'll be happy to follow along, hopefully attend a bunch of them, and see where that event can go because I think it has huge, huge potential. He also wanted to know what's the next hot shit. All right, so my prediction. Obviously, I think snack teas are going to pop off. Chip teas, uh, candy teas, pop teas, shit that we grew up with. Uh, obviously, the heat, the heat broker put a bunch on his episode and it kind of got me thinking I'm like yo that's kind of what's next with the with the youth culture but also I think reality tv t-shirts okay reality you heard it here first reality tv tees now I know like tv and movie tees are already kind of hitting reality tvs as its own category I haven't seen too much of it but I think it's going to be hitting like um, survivor, um, the simple life, shit like that. Okay, guys. Uh, I mean, Jackass is a reality TV show, I guess that's hitting, but that's kind of falls more in like the skate culture realm. So keep your eye out for reality TV tees. They're going to be hitting. Okay. Foul play. Shout out Ray foul play vintage. He asked, what's the best trick I've done on a snowboard? Back to snowboard chat here. Well, um, to be honest, like my heyday of snowboarding was like 98 to like 2002. Probably like 2001 was like my best years. 2001, 2002 was like my best years. You know, I can remember doing switch backside sevens. I was really stoked to learn that trick and it was kind of like of the time, like it was like a really sick trick at that point. So I was super stoked I could do those pretty consistently. Although I never ended up getting one in a, a good film one in a part because I don't know why it's like filming, you just sometimes doesn't all, doesn't line up. But um, I did though in my competition days, like 1998, have a trick called the Drew Screw um <laughs> this is so dorky but i had a trip trick trick called the drew screw i didn't make that name up my homies made it up it was like a backside misty five but like very flipped around like very flipped misty five i kind of had my own spin on it it was a super weird trick to be honest back in those days i don't even know how i did it but i just like flipped it one day and it like i think i was trying to learn like a front flip one day and then I just, instead of doing a front flip, I kind of did like a this weird misty flip thing. And then 
I was like, what the hell? Like I, I almost landed that. So then I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this again. And it wasn't until I actually saw it, like somebody had taken a picture or recorded it that I was like, wow, that's did not feel like what I was doing. You know, I didn't think I was doing that. Um, isn't that how it goes sometimes though with tricks? Like I remember when I first learned to kickflip, I was doing kickflip body varials and that I didn't know I was doing that. I thought I was doing a regular kickflip until someone's like, yo, you're like turning. I'm like, what? Dude, I was doing a kickflip body barrel. It was just easier for me to do. Finally, I learned how to do it regular. But yeah, so I had this Misty 5 called the Drew Screw. And uh, that was pretty sick. But I think like Switchback 7s was probably like one of my best tricks. I could do backside 9s for a bit there. Um, but that, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I can remember. Stoked on that. Okay. Um, the Thrift Pirate. Armatey. Shout out to the Thrift Pirate. He just was like, just mad. He was like, just talk about vintage stuff. Uh, he always was stoked. He's always stoked because he's learning mad stuff from these podcasts. So hopefully you learned something Thrift Pirate from this podcast. Hopefully I dropped a bit of knowledge on you. Just asking me for general vintage knowledge is a bit vague, but yeah, get out there, do some research, do some research, you know, what you should take away from this episode is research your leather game, research your denim game, get into it. There's so much to learn. Don't sleep on those two items because why the hell would you? If you're going to be hitting thrifts and bins and you're getting t-shirts anyway and you find a sick leather, fucking take it. Are you crazy? Shop Velvet Underground. Shop Velvet Underground uh, says, talk about Frankie. Talk about Frankie. Okay, let's talk about Frankie. There's so much I could talk about Frankie. How we started Frankie, where it went to, all the different accomplishments we've had along the way. Frankie's been one of the funnest, hardest, um, you know, things I've ever done ever created um but I'm very happy about where it's at right now I'm super happy about the future of Frankie I'm looking forward to the future for Frankie because I think we've really paved the way for reworking in general and uh put a spotlight on it to inspire lots of other people to get into it so even if that's the Frankie legacy you know I could I could be happy with that but you know, we want a real, we're going to turn Frankie into a major resource for women and for everyone to learn about reworking, to learn about sustainable fashion, um, to help promote other reworking brands. I mean, I, I can't really talk about the deep, deep plans too much because <coughs> I don't really want to be giving all this stuff away. And then, um, yeah, certain things you got to keep secret till they're ready to launch, but you know, Frankie is its own beast. We have our own studio of probably 10 full-time people working, creating reworks every day. Um, it's very, very labor-intensive to create rework clothing. You have to <clears throat> you have to find the piece of clothes. You have to design a pattern. Then you have to cut the clothes, which cutting old clothes is way harder than cutting new clothes. Then you have to sew it. Then you have to worry about color matching and all these different things. And 
thread color matching whereas if you were doing new production you would just have big runs of things all the same color and there's so many different variables with doing reworks you have to design within each garment's allowance so if you're designing reworking a jacket it's like you can only make so many things out of that jacket if you're designing reworking a t-shirt you can only make so many things out of a t-shirt so it comes with its own tricks and hurdles but we've really learned um how to work around that and uh, how to create interesting things i think reworking in general has a huge future ahead of it for this world you know we're talking to lots of different brands about how we can help them uh, develop systems for their own brands and work with them to create uh, lines out of their old out of their old take back clothing um what else what else about frankie yeah the future for frankie is strong well i've been talking this is the first solo episode i've ever done i've just been sitting here in my living room i think i'm gonna go watch now the mandalorian kick back unwind for the day it's 10 o'clock on a thursday night couldn't go to the city today because we got too much snow there's like a foot and a half of snow here we're supposed to get another snowstorm coming in tonight. I think it's supposed to start right around now. So we'll see what happens. And maybe I can't go to work again tomorrow. Who knows? But thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Hope you learned something from this one. Thank you for sending in your questions. I'll be back with more guests very soon. Peace.